Father, again, what a privilege it is to be able to worship you and praise you together. And Lord, we thank you for what you have done for us through your son, Jesus Christ. And I thank you that uh, you revealed him, you revealed our sin and the Savior in the gospel, Lord God. And by the blood of Christ, we who have trusted in your son have been saved. And we thank you so much. And Father, I thank you that we grow in respect to salvation through your word that you use it to make us like your son Jesus. And I pray that you would help us today to understand what you intended in your word in Nehemiah so that we would, by your spirit, understand and apply it rightly and obey you, Lord God. So we thank you for this time together. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Well, if you were to do a search on the Internet of uh, people's 10 greatest fears, it's kind of interesting. The Internet's kind of been overtaken by wokeness and stuff. Now half that will be conservatives or Trump or whatever it might be. But if you would have searched a couple years ago, you would see that people would share their real fears. And uh, the fears are such as death, uh, fear of uh, uh, the unknown, fear of uh, you know getting old, fear of getting sick, uh, fear of... Uh, of relatives dying, all kinds of different things, fears of all sorts of different things, fear of flying, you know, fear of uh, bugs and spiders and snakes, whatever it might be. The reality is we as people uh, do fear. We do fear, and there is a lot to fear. I mean, if you just watch the news, there's a lot to fear. What about this? What about this war here? What about uh, nuclear weapons? What about uh, all this stuff? Then you've got the media telling you what you should fear, and you've got fear everywhere. And the reality is we don't need anyone else to tell us what to fear. We're tempted with fears ourselves. The reality is there are things that are unknown to us in the future that cause us to fear, uh, whether it's uh, being falsely accused by someone. What's going to happen? What are people going to think? What's going to be the result of that? Or, or what's going to happen physically speaking with this disease or whatever it might be? Uh, what's going to happen to my family members? Uh, I want them to come to Christ. That's a good fear, but still fears. And the reality is we as believers uh, need not fear. We need not fear. And the Lord does not want us to fear. Because as we're going to see, fear is antithetical to trust in Christ. When we are fearing, we are not trusting Christ. We are not loving him and we are not loving uh, one another. We are self-loving. We are self-focused. We are encompassed by fear. And yet we all know the uh, chains and the uh, bondage that happens when we give into fear. We feel helpless. We can't get out of it. So for believers, and we'll see for non-believers also uh, later on, but how can we as believers uh, keep from being overcome by fear? And we're going to see that we have an enemy that desires to use fear to manipulate us that we would be sidetracked from the work of Christ. So then, maybe you're fearing something today. You're fearing what will happen with your spouse. You're fearing what might happen in your family. You're fearing what might happen in this world. You're fearing what might happen with a medical condition. You're fearing about something. How do we get set free from fear? The Lord says many times, do not fear. Well, how do we get set free? Let's take a look at a wonderful passage in the book of Nehemiah because we're going to see that Nehemiah is an example for us on how not to be uh, enchained and, and enslaved by fear, how not to be enslaved. 
Now, we've been going to the book of Nehemiah, and we've seen that he has heard important information about the Jews in Jerusalem and the walls and the gates being burned down and the walls in a shambles. He is the cupbearer to the king, a very high position, and he is completely broken over it, what's happening there, what's happening to the Jews and the walls and everything, what has happened. And he realizes after praying and praying and praying that God is the one is going to use him to go uh, help these Jews out to build the walls. And so we saw in chapter 1 that uh, he was praying for God's favor when he would come before the king. He knew God could do everything. He knew that God was a God who was mighty and above all things. But yet he prayed for four months and he was concerned about it. And then in chapter 2, we saw that God was gracious, that God moved the heart of the king uh, to bring about the circumstances, to inquire why Nehemiah was sad. And Nehemiah responded, and the king asked what his request was, and he requested to go help and rebuild. And God granted that request, and he also granted uh, Nehemiah's wise uh, requests in terms of having papers to get there safely and also having uh, the king's forest uh, guy give him, uh, uh, have a note that he can get wood and stuff from there. And so uh, Nehemiah, because the good hand of the Lord was on him, was granted to do this. And then we saw when he was on his way to Jerusalem, that opposition began to form, that it was a great evil to Sanballat and Tobiah. It was evil to them that somebody would want to come and help the Jews. But yet uh, Nehemiah was very strong and stayed focused on what the Lord had called him to do. And when he got there, he didn't tell anybody. He waited three days and then he inspected the walls by himself or at night secretly to see what needed to be done. And then he came to the people and shared what shambles it was in. And he called upon them to join him in this great work. And he had shown and he explained that God's hand had been upon him and how the king had given his requests. And then we came to uh, chapter three where we have an overview of the whole process and how everyone worked together to get the walls built. A tremendous reality, what God did. And then we came to chapter 4, where we began to see the specifics of the opposition forming. We saw the tactics of Satan. We saw, first of all, Satan used uh, stinging words to the servants to, to cause them to be discouraged you know, uh, this wall, the work is, is these feeble Jews. Uh, if a fox was to jump on the wall, it would fall over. Look at how, how terrible it is. And Nehemiah uh, very clearly um, uh, trusted the Lord. He understood that these tactics were from Satan, I believe. He understood they were evil, no doubt. And they were to discourage and demoralize God's people. And he prayed. And he prayed. He prayed, sharing the situation with the Lord, calling upon him to bring just retribution upon his enemies. And from this prayer, we were encouraged to continue to be at God's work from a right heart. And then in the second half of chapter 4, we saw another one of Satan's tactics to try to use fear again to, to bring someone to be discouraged through an outright attack. An outright attack. There was going to be a sneak attack. They were going to surround them and knock them off and take care of them. But God enabled them to hear about it and uh, they trusted the Lord. They prayed to God, and God protected them. And they continued to wisely fight, uh, or be prepared to fight, where they had their swords in one hand and their trowel in another hand, where they were guarding against uh, the threats of that attack. 
and they were on guard day and night. And we saw indeed they were not to be discouraged, but they were to, to work because the Lord would fight for them. The Lord would fight for them. Another great lesson for us. And then in chapter 5, last time we were together, we saw that uh, Satan tries to exploit uh, internal sin within the Jews to try to get them to stop. And what was that sin? Uh, there was a famine and people were starving and they were uh, having to mortgage their houses, their fields, their vineyards. Uh, they were uh, having to borrow money to get food or borrow, borrow to get food. And the rich and wealthy uh, nobles and rulers, the Jews, their brothers, uh, Jewish brothers who had come from Babylon. They were brothers. They were there for the same reason. We're exacting usury from them, going against the word of God. You should not do that. You shall not exact usury against your brother. Right? We see that back in the law. And they were making a buck, and they were foreclosing on their houses. They took them as pledges. And Nehemiah saw it, and he was hot. He was angry, a righteous anger. And then he rightly addressed it after he considered it. He, he, he thought about it to himself. He had a consultation with himself. And then he brought about a meeting, a great meeting, where he confronted the sin, and he called upon them to do the right thing, and then even to commit to doing the right thing. And they did, and they stopped the usury, and they gave back the money. And Satan, again, was thwarted through righteous addressing of sin and righteous uh, fear of God rather than fear, as we will see, of men. It's from here we come to our passage today where we have another tactic of Satan that is clearly, uh, as we will see, fear. It's trying to frighten uh, them so that they will uh, not continue in the work. Nehemiah chapter 5, verse 1 now it came about when it was reported to Sanballat, Tobiah, to Gershom the Arab, and to the rest of our enemies, notice what he, how he describes them, that I had rebuilt the wall and that no breach remained in it, although at that time I had not set up the doors in the gates, that Sanballat and Gershom sent a message to me saying, Come, let us meet together at Sepharim on the plain of Ono. But they were planning to harm me. So I sent messengers to them saying, I am doing a great work and I cannot come down. Why should the work stop while I I leave it and come down to you? Excuse me. Why should the work stop while I leave it and come down to you? And they sent messages to me four times in this manner. And I answered them in the same way. Then Sanballat sent his servant to me in the sent his servant to me in the same manner a fifth time with an open letter in his hand. In it was, in it was written, it is reported among the nations, and Gashmu says that you and the Jews are planning to rebel. Therefore you are rebuilding the wall, and you are to be their king according to these reports. And you have also appointed prophets to proclaim in Jerusalem concerning you. A king is in Judah. And now it will be reported to the king according to these reports. So come now, let us take counsel together. Then I sent a message to him saying, Such things as you are saying have not been done, but you are inventing them in your own mind. For all of them were trying to frighten us, thinking they will become discouraged with the work and it will not be done. But now, O God, strengthen my hands. And when I entered the house of Shemaiah, the son of Deliah, the son of uh, Mehetabel, who was confined at home, he said, let us meet together in the house of God. 
with the temple and let us close the doors of the temple for they are coming to kill you uh, and they are coming to kill you at night. But I said, should a man like me flee and could such as I go into the temple to save his life? I will not go in. Then I perceived that surely God had not sent him, but he uttered his prophecy against me because Tobiah and Sanballat had hired him. He was hired for this reason, that I might become frightened and act accordingly in sin so that they might have an evil report in order that they could reproach me. Remember, O oh my God, Tobiah and Sanballat, according to all these works of theirs, and also Noadiah the prophetess and the rest of the prophets who were trying to frighten me. Okay, so as we get going here, I want to make some large observations, and you've probably already made them, that this chapter has to do with the tactic of fear, with the enemies using the tactic of fear. Verse 9, for all of them were trying to frighten us. Verse 13, he was hired for this reason that I might become frightened and act accordingly in sin. Verse 14, remember, O God, Tobias and God, according to these works of theirs, and Noadiah the prophetess, the rest of the prophets, were trying to frighten me. And then look down at verse 19. I didn't read this, but it's at the end of the chapter. Moreover, they were speaking about his good deeds in my presence. That's Tobiah, by the way. And I rep and reporting my words to him. Then Tobiah sent letters to frighten me. Here you go. This is a tactic we're seeing. It is a tactic of fear. And it is one of Satan's tactics. Yes, uh, we are not uh, ignorant of his schemes. Uh, we do know that our battle is not against flesh and blood, right? It's against Satan. But he uses willing participants that are in his domain who are self-centered, self-focused, self-seeking to do their own will, which is against the will of God. And so then we're going to learn how Nehemiah overcomes these tactics of fear, and it will help us in our walk with Christ when we are tempted to fear, when we are tempted to fear. Now, you might remember, Satan initially used ridicule to try to get him discouraged uh, through Sanballat and Tobiah. And then uh, he used outright violence and the threat of that. And then he used internal conflict through sin. And now he's using those to frighten, to frighten them. So then, this passage is about Satan's tactic of fear. And we're going to see how we can have victory over it through uh, Nehemiah's inspired response. So how can we? Well, the first thing we're going to see and we need to recognize is we need to understand that Satan and those in his domain want to get us out of the way. They don't want us to function rightly and do God's work. They want to stop the work. They don't want us to do it. And, if we, and we must not fear, but keep working. We must keep working. Because as we're going to see, once we give in to fear, the work of God goes out the window and it becomes, we become self-centered, whether it's in our families, marriages, uh, the church, at work. When we start fearing, it's all about us. It's all about our circumstance and everything else goes out the window. So verse 1, chapter 5. Now it came about when it was reported to Sanballat, Tobiah, Gershom, Nerev, and to the rest of our enemies. Notice how he calls them. These are our enemies. Hey, flat out. Flat out. Uh, chapter 6. Thank you. Chapter 6, verse 1. And so we see he calls them enemies. Calls them enemies. Hey, these are our enemies. You know, we want to be so gracious at times. Well, we don't want to say it. Well, we need to speak the truth. 
The Lord Jesus was full of grace and truth, but yet he spoke the truth concerning those who were opposed to him. He was very clear. He was gracious. He was gracious, but he spoke the truth. And he understood very clearly being God in human flesh. But we can understand because God has revealed in his word who our enemies are and what they look like. And here we can see them. Sanballat, Tobiah, Gershom, the Arab, and to the rest of our enemies that I had rebuilt the wall, no breach remained in it. So it's not quite 52 days yet, or 53 days. It's getting close. They're working hard. It's coming together. They've got the wall done, but they have not done the gates yet. So it's getting close, and the word gets back to the enemies. Of course it always does. We saw that in our church with our enemies, right? The word always got around somehow. It always squeaked out and got back to people, and then they tried new plans to try and thwart things, right? You see that throughout. There's nothing new under the sun, by the way. And so here it gets back. It says that we built the wall, no breach had remained, although at that time had not set set up the doors and the gates, that Sanballat and Gershom sent sent a message to me. When they heard it, they sent a message. Here's the message. Now they're going to give it to that. Now you might remember Sanballat and Tobiah. These are enemies of the Lord and us, the Jews, and thus Nehemiah. Sanballat was um, most likely a Moabite from Horanim. Uh, he was probably the governor of Samaria, but he, regardless, he was a highly important political power. He had a lot of power, okay, as we say. Um, and Tobiah was an Ammonite official holding high office, powerful politician, but he was also one who infiltrated uh, the Jews religiously, as we see. He was an infiltrator. And then Gershom, the Arab, uh, is also an enemy. We've seen him before also. So these guys are trying their best through their official positions, uh, to influence Nehemiah to stop and not build the walls. And yet they have been unsuccessful. They've been unsuccessful. And, and Nehemiah is getting close. It's getting close. They're almost there. And they hear the word. So what do they do when they hear the word? Uh, verse 2, that Sanballat and Gershom sent a message to me saying, Come, let us meet together at Shepherim. And the plain of Ono. Now, this place would be about halfway between Samaria and Jerusalem, and it is a deserted area. Come, let's meet halfway in the middle in this deserted area, okay? And so uh, uh, Nehemiah says, These are our enemies, and here's what they're saying. But yet, Nehemiah understands uh, that uh, their motives are not what one might want to think. Maybe they're saying, you won, Nehemiah, you got the job done, let's be buddies, let's just put it back behind us and and work together, right? He he wasn't a hopeful thinker based on falsehood. Uh, Sometimes we do that. We we will ignore the truth and be hopeful in a false way. Now, we need to be hopeful in a way the Lord reveals in his word. Now, Nehemiah, notice what happens here. He says in the end of verse 2, but they were planning to what? Harm me. They were planning to harm me. You see, this would be a deserted location, as I mentioned, halfway between Samaria and Jerusalem. Maybe the enemies are saying, okay, Nehemiah, you won, blah, blah, blah. But no, that's not what they were saying. And Nehemiah understood that. Uh, you see here, uh, they had tried a violent sneak attack before. They had tried other things. They were very much enemies. And so here we have them calling to do this meeting. But they were planning to harm me, he says. So how does Nehemiah know this? How does he know they're planning to harm him? 
Well, did someone tell him? Possibly. We don't, we don't know. Certainly a lot of word was going out. Loose lips were sinking a lot of ships, right? A lot of word was going out both ways. Um, but as we're going to see, Nehemiah is discerning and trusts the Lord. I don't know if someone told him or not, but I know he's discerning. And I know he trusts the Lord. And I know he understands biblical, biblical principles and that these are enemies. And think about it. They're not sending a letter saying, we are so sorry for all that we have done. We have mocked you. We have ridiculed you. We have tried to stop your work. We are wrong. That's not what the letter says. That's not what the letter says. So I believe Nehemiah understood intuitively to meet out in this deserted area would be a danger to him. He's leaving the, the, the security of Jerusalem and going out there. And so he understood they're trying to harm him. They're trying to harm him. And so how does he respond? Verse 3, so I sent messengers to them saying, yeah, I love this by the way, I am doing a great work and I cannot come down. Why should the work stop while I leave it and come down to you? Right? Uh, why should that happen? Nehemiah just comes straight out. I'm doing a great work and I'm not coming to you. I'm not going to stop the work to come out and talk to you. You know, we want so desperately to be uh, resolved in conflict, to be at peace with all men, but we need to be careful that we don't have one principle contradict another principle in Scripture. Nehemiah understood this was not a genuine plea for reconciliation. You see what I'm saying? He understood that. They were trying to harm him. They were trying to harm him. So he says, uh, it's a great work. And why is it a great work? We know because God is in it. God is in it. And by the way, on a side note, if you are serving the Lord, you are doing a great work. God is in it. When you serve Christ, you are doing a great work. When you serve him in the body of Christ, you are doing a great work. You serve him at home. You serve him at work. You're doing a great work. It's God's work. It's God's work. And God is in it. And so he says, um, hey, I'm not going to come. I'm doing a great work. And I cannot come down. Why should I work stop while I have to, while I leave it and come down to you? Pretty straightforward. He wasn't uh, being dishonorable, disrespectful. He's being truthful. I'm not going to do it. Why should I come and stop the work to talk to you? And now they could have written back, Rick back, said, "Well, here's why. We really do want to apologize. We really we messed up, you know. And hey, maybe meet somewhere else and let's really hear it. All right. But uh, that's not what they do. Notice it says what they did. Verse 4, and they sent messages to me four times in this manner, and I answered them in the same way. Okay, he's not going to buy into it. He's not going to do it. He's not going to do it. So what can we learn from here? Well, first of all, Nehemiah was wise to discern that his enemies were enemies. You know, your enemies are enemies until something changes, and nothing had changed. They were enemies, okay? They were enemies of Nehemiah and of the Lord, and he understood that. Secondly, we need to stay at work. We need to keep working. Keep doing what we should be doing in Christ. Don't get sidetracked. Keep working. Keep working. And brother and sister, as I mentioned before, also when you are serving the Lord, it is a great work. You're serving the Lord. It's his work. It's a great work. It's a great work. And then lastly, I think we need to recognize how this initial four verses relates to the rest of the chapter. Um, I think it relates to it uh, pointing out that these guys aren't going to stop. They're going to keep going. They're going to keep attacking. It hasn't changed. It hasn't changed, okay? So with that in mind, it was a deceitful attempt here now, and their tactics have changed a little bit, 
to harm the leader. To harm the leader. Hey, take out the quarterback. Team doesn't do too well, right? Uh, strike down the shepherd, right? Uh, the sheep gonna scatter, right? So pray for your leaders. Pray for them because they got a big bullseye on them. Satan is going after them. Goes after you too. He's going after them, right? And leaders, don't give the Lord, don't, don't give the Lord's time to your enemies. Don't give the Lord's time to your enemies. I don't have time to do it. I'm doing God's work. I'm doing God's work. So how can we not be overcome by fear? Well, we need to realize it's coming. The dangers are coming. There are people out there. They're enemies. And they got new, interesting ways to attack us. But nothing's new under the sun. It's all going to have the same thread within it, as we're going to say. So uh, we got to realize it's coming. And we recognize that fear is what they're using here in this tactic. We're going to see it. It's fear. It's fear. But fear, and I'm not talking about reverence, but fear is not from God. It is not from God. It is not from God. Uh, 66 times in the Old Testament, the Lord tells us directly or through his servants, do not fear, fear not, or do not be afraid. Okay? In the New Testament, an angel says four times, do not be afraid. Jesus says 18 times, do not be afraid, do not fear, do not, uh, do not, or fear not, or do not fear. Peter says concerning those slandering and do not fear their intimidation and do not be troubled, 1 Peter 3.14. And what does Paul tell Timothy? For God has not given us a spirit of timidity, some translations say fear, but of power, love, and discipline. Fear is not from God, but God understands our frame and he gives us a way to, to be protected, to be delivered, as David said, out of all my fears, to be delivered, okay? So then, we're going to see Nehemiah is victorious over this fear, and it's going to be an encouragement and a pattern for us as we look at how he does it. Victory over it. Now, folks, on a side note, we're also going to see Satan will use fear as a tool to get us to become self-absorbed, self-focused, so that we would be discouraged and quit, so that we would further sin and be rightfully reproached because of our sin, and not be able to finish God's work. But we need to be prepared, and we need to understand that our enemies are going to use this tactic, and they understand it, and they're using it, by the way. They're using it to, to scare, to frighten. So then, how can we escape the temptation to succumb to fear? How can we have victory over it? Well, we need to know it's coming. We need to be prepared, not be foolish and realize, hey, everything's fine. I don't have an enemy. No one's attacked me. Well, you have an enemy. It's Satan. And he's going to use people. So it's going to come. It's going to come if you're serving the Lord. It's going to come. And then what we're going to see here is that we need to use, realize here that Satan will use fear to paralyze us and entrap us so that we will quit. That's his goal. That's his goal. Notice in our study, we need to guard ourselves from fear that, first of all, as we're going to see, arises from false accusations. Notice Sanballat sends an open letter to Nehemiah falsely accusing him of planning rebellion against the king, but Nehemiah denies it, understands the evil motives, and prays for strength and keeps working. This is an example for us. Verse 5. Then Sanballat sent his servant to me, in the same manner, a fifth time. Remember, the first four times were, were secret, private, right? The word private was in our, our text. 
And he says here, with it, what? An open letter. Hey, this isn't private anymore. It's open. It's open. By the way, we'll see that an open letter was one that everyone could read that would be passed around openly, okay? Um, open letter in his hand. And in, in it was written, it is reported among the nations, and Gashmu says, must, Gashmu must have been a big guy. Some think that's Gershom, but evidently Gashmu is a, is a Benedict Arnold, turncoat, uh, satanic man, who, who says this if it's really true. Gashmu says that you and the Jews are planning to rebel. Therefore, you are rebuilding the wall. And you are their king, and you are to be their king, according to these reports. And you have also appointed prophets to proclaim in Jerusalem concerning you. A king is in Judah, and now it will be reported to the king according to these reports. So come now, let us take counsel together. You know what? Hey, here's a big false accusation to frighten you, as we'll see, to scare you into coming and doing what we want you to do so that we can stop you from doing God's work. That's really what's going on. That's really what's going on. So it's an open letter. After all, the private invitations, they go with another tactic, an open letter. And this open letter uh, could be read with the public, and it had false accusations in it. But yet with all false accusations, you see there's a big chunk of truth. Yes, they're rebuilding. That's not, that's not false. But they're not rebuilding so that they can uh, rebel against the king of Persia and establish Nehemiah as king. That's not true. That's not true. It's false. Yet this is a serious false accusation. This is the type of false accusation where Nehemiah's head is gone. If the king believes it, he's off with your head, right? It's, it's, and the Jews probably be slaughtered. It's a serious false accusation. Sometimes we get accused and there's really no consequences to anyone else or anything like that. But here, there are consequences to the Jews themselves. If the king of Persia was to believe it and get hot and go out and slay everybody, uh, consequences to Nehemiah being the king, he'd certainly lose his head. It's a big deal. This is a big, this is a big one. This is a whopper. Probably couldn't get any worse. This is the worst false accusation they can bring. And that's what Satan's like. That's what Satan's like. So he's using a new tactic. Uh, Samuel's making this uh, open letter. So what's the temptation for Nehemiah? It's to be self-absorbed, fearing what might happen or what others think about the accusations, right? Right? You know, if you're following the Lord, you're going to be falsely accused. If you're a leader, you're going to be falsely accused. It's coming. How do you respond? This is a great lesson for us. This is a great lesson for us. You see, because the temptation is to justify ourselves, to prove to everyone that it's not the truth, very tempting to worry about people and situations, uh, very tempting to fear what people think. Uh, it's tempting to become self-focused, and that's what fear does. That's what fear does. Uh, that's why it's such a bad sin when we succumb to it. It's so bad. Um, we're going to see later on, it has, it, when we fear, we don't trust. We don't trust. And there's a lack of love when we're fearing, too. There's an interesting uh, relationship to that. Actually, turn to 1 John chapter 4. 1 John chapter 4. We're going to see that when we act out of fear, we act out of self-focus. We're not trusting the Lord, and we're not loving our brothers and sisters because we are self-absorbed. You can't love your brother when you are absorbed with yourself. It doesn't happen. Uh, 1 John chapter 4, verse 18 there is no fear in love, but perfect love casts out fear. Because fear involves punishment, and the one who fears is not perfected in love. We love because he first loved us. 
Now, although the main principle here is uh, we don't fear because we're not going to be punished because God loved us and took our punishment for us, there's another principle that lays forth on here in the context of 1 John, which is about loving your brothers, right, and obeying the Lord in that. That other principle is that we love because he first loved us, and there is no fear in love. You see, when I'm fearing, I'm not loving. I'm not loving. I'm not loving. Look a little farther down, just in 1 John chapter 5. 1 John chapter 5, verse 2. By this we know that we what? Love the children of God when we love God and observe his commandments. Hey, I'm loving God when I'm obeying him concerning his will, concerning you, right? If I'm disobeying him, I'm not loving you. I can tell you right now, I don't love you if I'm not obeying God. You don't love me if you're not obeying God. That's just the way it is. For this is the love of God, that we keep his commandments, and his commandments are not burdensome. Hey, if you're in faith, it's not a burden to do it. You trust the Lord. Trust the Lord. So then, we can't fear man and love God or his people at the same time. It's not going to work. It's not going to happen. Uh, we can fear the things, fear things, and we just can't fear things and love God. We need to trust the Lord. You see, because the fear of man brings what? A snare. And look at this contrast. This is in Proverbs, and I'll read it for you, Proverbs 29, 25. The fear of man brings a snare. That literally means a hook, like dragging you away, dragging you away. But in contrast, he who trusts the Lord will be established. You can fear man, or you can trust the Lord. You can fear man. When you are fearing man, you're not trusting the Lord. But we can get caught up in it, and we need to be set free. And we're going to see from Nehemiah, who does not Get caught up in it. Okay, so then, we don't want to become self-absorbed. That's just what Satan wants us to do. Because when we're selfish, we don't obey God, and we don't love one another. And fear is not from God. So what's the right response? Look at Nehemiah, back in our passage, chapter 6, verse 8. Then I sent a message to him, saying, Such things as you are saying have not been done, but you are inventing them in your own mind. Pretty straightforward. You made it up. I haven't done it, and you made it up. I haven't done it, and you made it up. Now, he doesn't get off and and explain and and defend with uh, this guy all the reasons why it's not true. He says it's not true. It's not true. You made it up. He doesn't get into a discourse with Sanballat and Tobiah about this. He shares the truth with them. shares the truth with them. We need to expose and confront the lie with the truth. That's the first principle we'll see. We'll see later on, Nehemiah will do that with the word in the next illustration. We need to expose the lie with the truth. This is not true. This is not true. And we need to understand what Satan's goal is in this attack and this attempt. Look at verse 9. For all of them, he's going to explain, for all of them were trying to frighten us, thinking they will become discouraged with the work and it will not be done. Okay, now we know the motive. We got to do that. So we need to acknowledge the truth and expose the motive for what Satan is doing through these people, whatever it might be. They're trying to scare us. It's an attempt to get me to fear that I would be discouraged and that I wouldn't do the work, which is true, by the way, which is true. You get discouraged, you're not serving the Lord anymore. So then, Sam and Ties, the enemies were evil. They understood how evil works, by the way. They understand. It's a tactic. They understand. And they understand that how fear works. 
and they wanted them to become frightened, that they would become discouraged and would not do the work. Okay, that's what Satan wants to do with us. Nothing new under the sun. Get you to fear so that you don't do the good work in your marriage. Get you to fear you don't do the good work with your children. Get you to fear you don't do the good work at work. Get you to fear you don't do the good work at church. Get you to fear. Get you to fear. But we need to identify the lie and then know what is going on under the scenes. We need to see this. We need to understand this. And then lastly, we need to call upon God. Notice what he does in contrast. But, end of verse 9, now, O God, strengthen my hands. This is what they're doing, but right out of his mouth in the same sentence, no delay, but God, he says here, but he says here, but, uh, but now, O God, strengthen my hands. They're trying to do this to me, but strengthen my hands. The implication is strengthen my hands to continue working. Strengthen my hands to keep going. Help me not to succumb to this. Help me to do the work. Strengthen me, God. We need to trust the Lord. We need to trust the Lord. The very opposite of what fear was to accomplish, Nehemiah is praying for. Strength to do the work rather than self-focus and pulling away, right? Brothers and sisters, when you are falsely accused, confront the lie with the truth. Understand the goal of what your enemy Satan is doing to frighten you, discourage you, to get you to quit. But instead of yielding, go to God for his strength and keep on working. Go to God for his strength and keep on working. Reprove the lies, understand the goal of the fear tactics, and seek God's strength. Seek God's strength. Keep working, asking for God's strength, rather than being sidetracked through your fear to defend or run away or whatever it might be. And believe me, there's great temptation to do so. Satan's goal is to make you ineffective for Christ as you wallow in your fear and self-focus, consumed with yourself. This is not how God wants us to live, okay? So many fear knots. Do not fear, right? Commands, don't fear. When we are consumed with ourselves, we do not love God by obeying him. We do not love others because we're not obeying God. But when we see the Lord is more important than ourselves in the situation, the false accusation, when we see people is more important, we get to work seeking his strength, seeking his strength. There are some of you who need to get to work. You have been sidetracked by your own fears. And folks, they didn't just come upon you one day. Uh, you've been running them through your head over and over again. Uh, you've not, rather than reproving the lies in your head, you've been running it through your head you're running these evil thoughts through your head. You're ineffective. You're consumed and, and obsessed by your fears. It's time to confess your sin. Confess your sin and acknowledge that you've been infected for Christ, that you've been self-focused. Get into his truth. Confront your erroneous thinking. Get into his truth and do not fear because God is with you. Let me share some passages. Turn to 1 Peter chapter 3. These uh, uh, believers, uh, and, uh, they, were being, um, they were being threatened. They were being slandered. Uh, Nero was on the scene. Uh, bad things were about to happen. Fiery ordeal come upon them for their testing. And uh, the Lord has to tell them to think rightly, to get your head squared away. I'm paraphrasing. Notice what he says here, 1 Peter 3, 13. 
And who is there to harm you if you prove zealous for what is good? In light of who God is, whose eye is attentive upon the righteous, his ear is attentive to their prayer, in light of that, who can harm you? Get your head straight, right? Get your head straight. And then he says, but even if you should suffer for the sake of righteousness, you are blessed. And what does he say here? Do not fear their intimidation and do not be troubled. But what do you do instead? Sanctify Christ as Lord of your heart. Make him the Lord of your heart, not fear and intimidation. You know, we make other things the Lord of our heart by thinking of him all the time. You know what I'm saying? Sanctify Christ. Sit him apart as Lord of your hearts, always being ready to make a defense to everyone who asks you to give an account for the hope that is in you, yet with gentleness and reverence. And keep a good conscience so that in the thing in which you are slandered, those who revile your good behavior in Christ may be put to shame. For it is better if you should will, if God should will it so that you suffer by doing what is right rather than doing for doing what is wrong. What is wrong? And I shared this passage earlier, wonderful passage. Turn to Isaiah 41. Wonderful passage. Wonderful passage. Memorize it. Get it in your heart when you are tempted to fear. Get it in your heart. Isaiah 41. Isaiah 41, verse 10. Do not fear, for I am with you. Do not anxiously look about, for I am your God. He says, I will strengthen, for I am your God. I will strengthen you. Surely I will, I will help you. Surely I will uphold you with my righteous right hand. Don't fear. God's with you. Don't fear. Nehemiah didn't fear. He knew God was with him. God strengthened my hands. Praying right along with this. God says he's going to strengthen. And guess what? Nehemiah well had this at that time, right? Isaiah had already written this. Nehemiah had these scriptures. He had this truth. And he's living it out, by the way. Strengthen my hands, O God. Strengthen my hands, right? He says, Behold, all those who are angered at you will, will be shamed and dishonored. You think about that when people are attacking you, go, Wow, they're not going to win. And notice he says here, those who contend with you will be as nothing and perish. Hey, they're done. They're done. You will seek those who quarrel with you, but you will not find them. Those who war with you will be as nothing and non-existent. For I am the Lord your God, who upholds your right hand, who says to you, do not fear. I'll help you. Don't fear in your marriage. God will help you. Don't fear with your children. God will help you. Don't fear at work. God will help you. Now, if you're all about the issue, then that's something else. Trust the Lord. Trust the Lord. Don't fear in church. God will help you. God will help you. You want to be free of, God, free of fear? Get into God's word. Confront the situation with his truth. Understand your enemy's tactics uh, to get you to sin. Be self-centered in fear. And then go to the Lord for strength and trust him and trust him. So then we see the first attack uh, with the weapon of fear. It's a false accusation against a leader uh, from the outside, basically, open to all, okay? Well, the next attack is a private one. Next attack's a private one here. We're going to see that Nehemiah is enticed by false prophets. It's religious too, by the way. A false prophet's prophecy to save his skin so that he, so that he, wouldn't, uh, so that he would sin and then he would be discredited. You know, Satan uses people in the body of Christ to give you bad advice, by the way. Be aware of that. And Nehemiah is going to notice, as we're going to see, that it contradicts Scripture. And he's going to say, no way. Folks, when someone comes alongside and gives you bad advice, you know, I hear it all the time. Well, 
your husband's being this way, well, then you should do this. Well, no. What does the Bible say? Win him without a word. Gentle and quiet spirit. Submit. Be, be a godly woman. Hope in God. What does the Bible say? It doesn't say give, do it your way, right? Same thing for men. Same thing for men. So then, Nehemiah is enticed here. Look at this, verse 10. And when I entered the house of Shemaiah, Shemaiah, the son of Deliah, the son of Metabal, who was confined at home, he said, let us meet together in the house of God within the temple and let us close the doors of the temple for they are coming to kill you and they are going to kill you at night. But I said, should a man like me flee? And could such a man as I go into the temple to save his life? I will not go in. Then I perceived that surely God had not sent him, but he uttered his prophecy against me because Tobiah and Sanballat had hired him. He was hired for this reason, that I might become frightened and act accordingly and sin, so that they might have an evil report in order that they could reproach me. Remember, O oh my God, Tobiah and Sanballat, according to these works of theirs, and also Noadiah the prophetess and the rest of the prophets who were trying to frighten me. This is a full-on spiritual assault. You know, when we initially read it, we think it's just one guy giving some advice, but this guy's a prophet, and he is prophesying. And he is giving a word from the Lord, by the way. And he's got this prophetess lady, Noadiah, and he got the other prophets, they're all together on it. This is, this is, this is a bad scene. Nehemiah is seeking God's word, and he's going to get, and he's going to have to discern what is true and what isn't. Now, this Shemaiah uh, uh, was, you notice there's the lineage thing here, uh, the son of Delaiah and Metabah. Why all this? Well, there's a bunch of Shemaiahs in, in the scriptures, okay? But later on, you go into Nehemiah 7, 61 and 62, and you see that the sons of Delaiah had come from Babylon, um, but they could not show from where, that they were actually from Israel or not. Kind of interesting, just on a side note. And Nehemiah puts the little interesting there to know which, which Shemaiah this is, okay? But evidently, respected prophet. Evidently, okay? So this is a deceitful attack by this Shemaiah and uh, these prophets and the prophetess. Notice what it is, verse 10. And when I entered the house of Shemaiah, the son of Deliah, and, Me- and Mehetabal was confined at home, he said... Let us meet together in the house of God within the temple and let us close the doors of the temple for they are coming to kill you and they are coming to kill you at night. This is God's guy supposedly saying, hey, here's what you should do. It's a prophecy. It's coming. We know it's coming. You need to do this, Nehemiah. You need to do this. So how does uh, Nehemiah respond? Is that good advice? Well, it's prophets from God's guy, right? If it's a pastor, it must be right. Prophet must be right, right? No need to check it out or discern, right? No, we need to discern things. We need to know the word of God. And Nehemiah knew the word of God enough, as we will see in a moment, that his prophecy contradicted the word of God. And he knew right away it was not from God. And that's the key. That's the key. Look at here. Let us meet together in the house of God within the temple, and let us close the doors of the temple. Uh, this is so that you don't get killed, Nehemiah. That's what it is. Uh, but notice what Nehemiah does. He says, but I said, should a man like me flee? First of all, I'm not a coward. Cowards go to hell, by the way. 
They're all in hell. You look in Revelation, the cowards are in hell, by the way. Okay? And then he says, and could such one as I, he's going to make this, make this distinction because there were only the ones that could go in the temple or you would get killed. You shouldn't go in, right? Priests could go in. She says, such as I, you might remember, um, Uzziah went in to burn incest and he, the, the priest confronted him and he was leprous till the end of his life, right? You can't just go in there. So he's calling upon Nehemiah to break God's word. You see what I'm saying? And to go in. And I'll bet you he wouldn't have even known about Uzziah. Okay? It's past that time. Okay? And so he says, should a man like me flee? Could such a one as I, could I go in the temple to save his life? I will not go in. Religious advice, prophecy, do it. He says, no, I'm not going to do it. Not going to do it. We can learn from this, by the way. We need to know the word of God. We need to know the word of God. And notice what he says here. He says here, Then I perceived that surely God had not sent him. When he contradicted the word of God, I knew it was not from God. I perceived it at that point. This is not from God. And then he figured it out, right? Um, Not sent him. He perceived it. This is a false prophet. And he's going to realize later on that he offered 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 it against him because Tobiah and Sanballat had hired him. Profit for hire. Profit for hire. You know, it's interesting. You have situations like this. You'll see this as you minister, especially as pastors and leaders. You'll see that other pastors and leaders will side with people and they'll say things that aren't biblical against you. You go, wait a second. And, And they have a lot of authority because they're pastors. Well, no one has any authority except the word of God. The word of God. And it needs to go with the word of God. Otherwise, it is false. It is false. Nehemiah fears God. He knows the word of God. So he wouldn't do what this prophet wanted him to do. And he's not a coward. And he realized it was not, it was, it was against the word. You can look in Second Chronicles 26 about what Uzziah did and what happened in that situation. So then he understands that they were hired, uh, they were hired for a reason. Notice what he says. Then I perceived that surely God had not sent him, but he uttered his prophecy against me because Tobiah and Salvat had hired him. And then notice, he understands the goal. So first of all, expose it with truth. Whether it's being an accusation, that's not true. You made it up. Expose the truth. This is false. This is a false prophecy. Got to know the word of God, right? Then secondly, understand what's going on underneath it. He was hired for this reason that I might become frightened and act accordingly in sin so that they might have an evil report in order they could, they could reproach me. Nehemiah went into the temple. He sinned against God. He is absolutely uh, not doing God's will. He is an evil man, right? They could reproach him, right? Nehemiah said, no way, I'm not going to do it. This is what their plan is. We need to know that sometimes God, uh, sometimes, sometimes Satan will use people to uh, do things to cause us to fear so that we will sin, that we'll sin because we're fearing We'll do what is wrong. And you know what? People, when they fear, will do a lot of stuff. A lot of Christians, when they're fearing something, I mean, they're fearing the, these, uh, you know, the, the, the medical implications of what they have, and they'll go to the, all the wacky pathies. You know what I'm saying? They'll do what others. They'll sin against God because they're fearing. The Apostle Paul, when he knew it was life or death, he said to live as Christ dies gain. 
In 2 Corinthians chapter 5, we've been seeing this. Hey, absent from the body, present with the Lord. Therefore, whether home or absent, I want to be pleasing. Whether I'm going to get taken away or whether I'm staying. The reality is fear will cause you to do bad things. To sin. To sin. Don't do it. Don't do it. They were trying to frighten me that I would sin. Right? Don't do it. And they could reproach me. So then, uh, first of all, expose it with the truth. Then recognize the truth of what's really going on underneath. You're trying to be, you're being tempted to be frightened that you would sin. Right? And then you'd be disqualified. And then notice he prays. Call upon the Lord and trust in him. Verse 14. Remember, O oh my God, to buy in Sanballat according to all these works of theirs and also Noadiah, the prophetess, and the rest of the prophets who were trying to frighten me. Remember what they did. They were trying to frighten me. Oh God, you are the one who protects me. You are the one who strengthens me. You take care of them. Take care of my enemies. Remember this, Lord. They've done evil. They've done evil to try to frighten me. Talk to the Lord right out. They're wrong, right? Remember that, Lord. Now, Nehemiah is not going to go on a campaign to address these people. He's going to leave it in God's hands. Remember me. So then, we need to pray. We need to pray. Turn to Psalm 34. Psalm 34. You see, if you seek the Lord, he'll deliver you out of all your fears. You see, you seek him. You identify the, the error with the truth, know the word of God. You know the plot and the plan, trying to frighten you to get you to sin, right? And then seek the Lord. Seek the Lord. That's what people don't do at times. Uh, Psalm 34. He says, I'll bless the Lord at all times. His praise shall be continually on my mouth. My soul shall make its boast in the Lord. The humble shall hear it and rejoice. Oh, magnify the Lord with me. Let us exalt his name together. I sought the Lord and he answered me and delivered me from all my fears. Seek the Lord. He'll answer you. He'll deliver you from all your fears. Do some seeking. Seek the Lord. He'll deliver you. He'll deliver you in your marriage. He'll deliver you with your kids. He'll deliver you at work. He'll deliver you with a physical condition from your fears. He'll deliver you in the context of ministry. Seek the Lord. Seek the Lord. Deliver from all my fears. Today we've seen Nehemiah's enemies try to deceitfully uh, lure him privately into a trap to kill him. But he wisely speaks the truth and keeps on working. Doing a good work. Not going to stop. Right? We also saw that Sandbelt sends an open letter falsely accusing him of plotting rebellion against the king. Big, it's a big deal. It's a big false accusation. But Nehemiah denies it. Speaking the truth. Understands their evil motives and prays for strength. It keeps on working. And we saw Nehemiah's enticed by a false prophet and the prophet's prophecy to save his skin so that he would not sin. Now remember, this is your life on the line, by the way. I don't know how many people, someone said, you're going to die tonight, you know, you better take action, you know, uh, would, would do what Nehemiah did. He said, no. He knew the word of God, right? He knew the word of God. He perceived thus it was not from God. He would not sin. He feared God. And then he called on God to judge those who were trying to frighten him. Okay. So how are we to deal with fear? First of all, we need to confront the circumstances in the situation with God's truth. This is what's really going on, right? Uh, we need to be in the Word of God. We need to have the Word in our hearts, rich, dwelling richly. We need to see things from God's perspective. We need to renew our minds and see it from His perspective, not from our emotions. Okay? 
Secondly, we need to understand what Satan's goal in fear is. That we would become self-focused and sin. That's his goal. And we would be about our own work rather than God's work. Our own horrible work, which is worthless about ourselves versus God's great work. And lastly, we need to call upon the Lord to strengthen us, to do his work, and to trust him to take care of our enemies. You remember them, O Lord, for what they've done. What they've done. I sought the Lord, and he answered me and delivered me out of all my fears. Let's pray. Father, I thank you so much for your word, and I thank you for Nehemiah and his example. Thank you, Lord, and I pray for anyone who has succumbed to fear, whatever it is, Lord, that they would acknowledge the sin and they would admit it, and they'd admit they've been self-focused, self-centered. They'd be ashamed of it, but that they'd turn to you and be forgiven, Lord God. Wonderful forgiveness. Lord, and I pray that they would get in your word and see things rightly, and they would uh, thus understand the goal of our enemy, and then they would turn to you for help, that we would not fear because you are with us, because you will help us. And Lord, for all of us, Lord, we're going to have fears come upon us. Help us not to be afraid of these sudden fears or these, these accusations, whatever it might come, whatever, uh, whatever way it might come. Help us to see things rightly from your word, understand what we're being tempted to do and not do it, and go to you for strength. Lord, thank you so much that you are faithful and you will deliver us from all our fears when we seek you. I pray this in your precious name. Amen.